everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the Kira McVitie podcast. In today's podcast we speak to multidiscipline bike racer Juliet Elliott. It would be much easier to run through a list of things that Juliet hasn't done in her life. She has been a pro snowboarder, a musician, model and now racing bikes. There is a lot to cover in this jam-packed episode. I'm lucky enough to know Juliet through the world of fixed gear racing where we were teammates for the Windy Miller Hype Red Hook Crit team back in 2018. I'm really excited to be sharing this episode with you so let's get started. Hello Julia, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are? Um, well, I am a cyclist, <laughs> I'm a cyclist, bike racer, I make YouTube videos and um, well that kind of covers it currently. Yeah. yeah. You are quite possibly the most multifaceted human I have ever encountered. Juliet has done, I feel like you've had every job under the sun from snowboarding, modelling, being in a heavy metal band. I mean, shall we start from the beginning? (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you say multifaceted. I suppose I have done lots of things, but currently I'm mainly just cycling, so maybe I'm not that interested anymore. But... In, in the past, I've done a few different things. I suppose my first ever actual job, well, I was modelling and snowboarding at the same time. It's so long ago, Kira, that I sort of forget, forget what happened. <laughs> but back in the distant past, when I was in my late teens, I, was, um, I got sponsored as a snowboarder on my first season. And I also got scouted by a model agency. So I was kind of doing both of those for a while. The modelling went quite well, but I didn't really like it very much. So um, I ended up (laughs) sacking it off after not fucking on because I preferred the snowboarding. I know nothing about snowboard. Like, how did you get into that? We haven't... Where's the snow at in England? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I used to go on a skiing holiday every year with my parents. We were pretty lucky. I had a pretty awesome childhood so you know summer sun holiday and then a winter ski holiday and when I was 14 I um I just saw some other kids snowboarding and I just thought it looked so fun so I rented one and I just taught myself how to snowboard and it was it was hard learning to snowboard it's not something that I just did straight away but I'm really really persistent I just don't give up so I just kept trying and trying and trying I didn't have any lessons and I just figured it out and I absolutely loved it. I was hooked. And then um, when I went home, I lived near, well, I lived about half an hour away from Sheffield Ski Village, which was such a legendary place in the British snowboarding scene. Because yeah. they had like um, snowboard nights where they'd get out all these jumps, all made of like, it was like um, toothbrush material. It's like yeah. plastic fibres and they watered it and then you could slide on it so um, yeah so they built these jumps which they got out on the snowboard night and it was a really fun thing and you just go there and like learn how to do um loads of different tricks and stuff off the ramps like 360s or loads of different things like that and it was really really fun so when i was a little bit older in my gap year i went snowboarding in the states with some friends who were were doing a season over there and um I didn't really want to go back to uni but I I did because oh no wait no I'm skipping forward a year gap year I went snowboarding did I oh Kira see I told you it was ages ago 
uni. I went to Melbourne yeah. in my gap year and then I started at uni and I went to visit my friends who were doing another season snowboarding in the States. And so I went out there at Christmas and we had like the best time ever. And I didn't want to go back to uni in January. But I figured, come on, do the sensible thing. You're at art college. It's really cool. Don't sack it all off. So I came back to England and I went to um, my university in January. And then my mum phoned me and she's like, Jules, I've decided I'm going to go and do a ski season in France. And I was just like, what? You can't do that. Like, I want to go so, so, so much. You can't just go and do a ski season whilst I'm not going snowboarding. Anyway, so kind of long story short, I sacked off university and I went and lived with my mum out in France and we went skiing and snowboarding all day every day. So that's how come I got sponsored because I just spent a lot of time doing it and like I said, I'm pretty persistent, so I learned a lot of tricks and I entered the British Championships and did quite well. So got my first sponsor. Nice, nice. So <laughs> after snowboarding then you didn't go back to uni. What did you do next? Well, I kind of did the modeling thing as well at the same time. So um, I fly out from wherever, wherever I was doing a snowboard season to go and do a shoot a lot of the time. So I fly out to New York and then fly back and carry on snowboarding and stuff. And um, then I, what did I do next? Well, basically I ended up quitting both modeling and snowboarding. Right. Um, I, and I lived in London for a while, which is when I got involved with music and I got a job at Warner Records in the marketing department and I joined a band and we toured quite a lot. And yeah, that was that was the next bit, music. <laughs> oh, that, that I'm sure. I, did I hear something that you... One, you were back at, you played for some... Uh, a, oh, a big, pop bands. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how weird things. Like, even I think it's weird, right? So... This is why I, I can't said, remember all of it. There's so many <laughs> random things. <laughs> I can't remember either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've done lots of funny things. So, basically, um, with the metal band, it was like an industrial metal band, and we played a lot in Germany in squats. So... It was super unglamorous, but like amazing. Sometimes we just got paid in beer or fuel or whatever, but they would always put us up in the squat we were staying at and there'd be amazing vegan food. And we just had like the best, best time. But anyway, after a while that came to an end um, and those guys started another band and I ended up working in a shop in London, like a really cool clothes shop in Covent Garden. And it's so random how this stuff happens. So basically, my friend in the shop, who I'm still friends with, he's also friends with Ian Brody, who's in this band, The Lightning Seeds, that did this, yeah. you know, anyway, yeah. So they were just chatting, and Ian Brody goes to Ash, my friend. He's like, oh, I'm really looking for a guitarist who can sing, preferably um, a woman. And Ash was like, oh, my, my friend does that. You should totally meet her. So anyway, yeah. I was introduced to the guy from the Lightning Seeds and by the end of the week, we were already in the studio rehearsing to go on tour. It was nuts. Like, <laughs> it is nuts. How did that even happen? <laughs> uh, honestly, I don't know. Like, law of attraction or something's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crikey. Okay, so you toured around with them for a bit. 
what yeah. what's next you're in london what are you doing in london all <laughs> oh, right so well after touring with the lightning seeds then i was kind of looking for i was still working at warner records actually after that i think it all gets a bit hazy but anyway i was kind of looking for something to replace the snowboarding so that's yeah. where cycling came in i had the music i was playing in a band and i was doing all that but I was looking for some sort of recreational sports type thing. And I rode a bike, but I didn't really, it's not like I got on a bike and I thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. I just used it to get to work. But yeah. then I got a fixed gear bike. And when I rode that, I was just like, whoa, this is everything. This is everything I was looking for. Um, so I used to use, I used to skate as well. I was really into skateboarding. So I think in some way there's a similarity between skateboarding, snowboarding, and riding a fixed gear bike. Maybe it's a tenuous yeah. link. Yeah. It made sense. And yeah, I just got on a fixed gear bike and I immediately loved it. And that's how all the cycling started. Is that when you sort of got into more the like fixed gear freestyle side of things? Yeah. Yeah. So it was back when fixed gear bikes were just getting really popular, um, like Obviously, bike messengers have been riding them for ages, but they suddenly got really popular with the general public. And there was this real boom in fixed gear bikes. Um, it's when Charge Bikes brought out the charge plug that loads of people had. And basically, I went along to... It was like a really social scene, really fun, like with the snowboarding. So they would have bike nights and everyone would go along and you would like take some beers and you would learn how to do tricks and wheelies and just hang out. And it was so fun. So I would peg it over from my job at Warner Records to go and meet these guys who, well, guys and girls. When I say guys, by the way, I mean like, I don't mean men. Some people think I mean men all the time. I'm like, I mean guys as in people. Anyway, so I'd ride <laughs> over and <laughs> everyone would meet on this the roof of this car park in Shoreditch, um, the fifth floor. Yeah. And that's where the fifth floor, you know, the bike crew collective comes from. Anyway, so we'd all go there and we'd do all this cool stuff and have loads of fun. And it was awesome. And um, another sort of lucky thing happened in that Charge Bikes were looking for a female rider to sponsor. And they already sponsored Ted James, who rode with the Fixed Gear London crew. And they asked Ted and Andy from Fixed Gear London if they knew any women who were riding Fixed Gear and doing tricks and stuff like that. And they suggested me. So that's how I got my first bike sponsor. And it just so happened that Charge make all different kinds of bikes. So that's what led me into riding like mountain bikes and other stuff as well, because I was able to say, hey, would, would it be okay if I get one of those other bikes as well? So yeah, yeah. mountain bikes and stuff too. And that's how it all kind of happened. Okay, awesome. So you did the fixed gear freestyle stuff. And then what made you want to race fixed gear? Or did you do well, road first? Like how was your kind of journey? Well, I racing? sort of dabbled. I dabbled. Um, Dave and I moved to Devon and I tried a few races. So I think I tried a cyclocross race. I hated it. Actually, it was awful. Um, <laughs> I still hate cyclocross. It just is awful. <laughs> it's like an hour of pure pain. Why would you want that? Anyway, <laughs> I, I know some people, people might think crits are like that, but to me, it's different. Anyway, so um, I dabbled with racing down here in the southwest. 
and I did a few road crits, which I quite liked. Some enduro races, downhill stuff, mountain bike stuff. And, um, but then I randomly saw, oh, wait a minute, I've skipped a stage. So... Weren't you a cycle messenger? I'm like, you, yeah. at some yeah. point. When was that? that? Well, you didn't ask about that, so I skipped that. Yeah, I was a bike messenger in London. <laughs> but wait, when did this come? What, when was this? Uh, so the bike messenger thing was after I got sponsored by Charge. Right, okay, got you. Yeah. That so makes I was sense. in London, I got sponsored by Charge. I was working with some brands. I was sponsored by Vans as well. And I also worked as a bike messenger. But then Dave and I sapped that all off and moved to the Southwest, which is where I am now. Although not with Dave. <laughs> so <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I entered a few races down here and it was pretty good fun, but mainly I was just doing road crits. Didn't really take it too seriously. Didn't do any training. I just kind of just did whatever. Just rode my bike, I suppose. But um then I found out that Red Hook Crit was going to come to London and mm. um, they were going to have a women's race at the London event. And I just thought, well, I might as well give it a go. You know, <laughs> I've bikes for ages. It looked really, really fun. I'd been to watch a women's um, Red Hook Crit event in Milan and I really, really liked the look of it. Like really, really, really wanted to be one of those women. I just remember standing on the sidelines thinking, oh, oh my God, I want to be one of those women there. Like, do you know what I mean? I just thought yeah, they looked yeah. so cool and badass and what they were doing. I was like, I want to do that. So um, I didn't want to like enter one of the ones that was in a foreign country in case I totally sucked. But when I heard those ones in London, I thought, well, I don't really have much to lose. So that's why I entered. Yeah. So did you raise the first London Red Hook? Yeah, so I raced the first one, and that was, I trained for four weeks for that race. It was the first time I'd ever done any training. This really nice guy, James, um, offered to coach me for a month to get me up to speed, well, as much as he could. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'd only quit smoking that January for New Year's. (laughs) (laughs) I quit smoking, quickly cleaned up my act, did four weeks of training, and entered Red Top Crit, and it was brilliant. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I... To be honest, I think that was probably my first red hook as well. And I just have this distinct memory of going into that first corner and being like, what the f-? <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just such, such, a, such a rush and so oh, fun. Yeah, I, miss, I miss red hook crit. Oh, man, it was so fun. Oh, mate. It's, yeah, it's, it's definitely been missed. Well, weirdly, I, I've raced road bikes for God knows how long, but everyone always asks about red hook crit. They don't care, <laughs> they don't care about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about the road racing, but um, I actually spoke to to David a couple of weeks ago. Um, I did a bit of a like interview like this with him, and he said that he is trying his best to bring Red Hook Crit back. So fingers oh crossed. My yeah, fingers crossed it will come back. Maybe next year. Yeah, it's, I think I think it's probably a year or two away, yeah. just purely because of like having mass events at the minute I don't think is really really yeah. doable but but yeah he's like pumped for it I think so yeah I'd be I'd be stoked to see that come back so the first year were you Atos sponsored rider the first yeah, year yeah yeah I was riding for Atos yeah. yeah 
do you want to, I guess, like run through like the different teams that you're with for, for the fixed gear stuff? Oh, uh, yeah. So the first Red Hook crew, I was sponsored by ASOS and I was still riding for Charge Bikes, but they didn't make, uh, this is going to sound bad, they didn't make a proper like track bike. You know, like the fixed gear bike that you buy from Evans is a bit different to a track bike, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? They're not the same. Yeah. So um, I couldn't ride a charge plug or anything like that, um, but I was sponsored by Charge. So they actually repainted and rebranded a Cannondale track bike. Actually, a really cool bike. I like that bike. Um, So I raced for Charge and ASOS at the first one, and I did that for a little while. But then ultimately, Charge Bikes and I, we were just going in totally different directions. Like, um, I, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to speculate on where they were going with their, their line, but it, it wasn't what I was doing. So yeah, the next thing, oh, yeah, the next bike I got was that awesome red Hartley Cycles bike. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was so Oh, I, I have that still. It's hanging over there. I love that oh, bike amazing. so much. So. Karen Hartley um, gave me that bike and I um, obviously helped promote it and stuff like that by racing it and doing loads of content and stuff on that bike. And uh, then the following year, it was the, was it, was it Windy Miller the following year? I don't know. How many years were that? Oh my God, so many years. I, I, <laughs> All Red Hook years just blend into one for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I reckon it was probably the following year that was then Windy... No, it was Windy Miller Hype or... Hi- oh, it's Windy Miller Hype Energy, yeah. Yeah, and we were actually teammates <laughs> for that year. That was brilliant. They did have brilliant skin suits, though. I just remember turning up to Brooklyn and we just looked the absolute shit. Oh, like, God, yeah. Everyone was just like, <laughs> just, oh. who is this team? So we had custom-painted shoes, custom-painted helmet and bike and the kit, like, matched in. And we had, like, oh, it was just so good. And they're all based around these, like, different energy-flavoured cans. <laughs> yeah, and it just looked brilliant. That was That was the best ever kit bike whole shebang thing that that was really cool a hundred percent like the the brooklyn combo was i think for me the the favorite um but that year was the famous mass pileup viral sensation where the, the motorbikes stalled in the start of the men's race and juliet and i were actually in the in the kind of hangar bit where everyone waits to go for their race. And then it was just like, one person comes in and another person comes in, they're holding broken wheels and broken frame. And we were like, what the hell is happening? Did you break your bike in that race as well? I'm sure that I crashed my bike the very first race. Yeah, because that was a terrible oh. year for me in terms of crashing. I never crashed yeah. at all in Red Hook until that race when I'm not going to say who it was but anyway someone did <laughs> someone did something that wasn't great it wasn't me guys okay just to clear this up it wasn't me it wasn't me okay someone did something not great and the entire um sort of field reacted because mm. of the mistake this person made and that meant that I got pushed into the barriers and I had a big old crash, snapped my bike, 
trashed the painted helmet and uh, the shoes. I uh, wrote the whole lot off in one crash. Not the shoes. <laughs> yeah. Not the shoes. Oh. And I was gutted because you know, like, well, I don't know how hard you train for these races. You're fast anyway, but I have to buff the gut. And then you fly all the way to New York and it's just yeah, over. It's awful, over. yeah. yeah, yeah the only especially thing when I you put that much into it, you know. The only thing I thought was, um, I was really, really moaning about how much it sucked to have your race over before it even begun. And um, Dave pointed out that if you're a guy and you have to qualify, all the way over and, and then don't qualify it's far worse at least all the women got to do the main race yeah yeah I guess that's true but I don't think you did because your frame snapped right yeah no so I didn't get to do it but I mean generally at least <laughs> as a, because the fields are smaller you would yeah. fly out and you would be you would be in the main race whereas yeah, men yeah. would like routinely fly all around the world and never even get in the main race ever yeah man I, and I always used to think that it was kind of crazy how you'd get these spon- like massively sponsored riders and teams and they'd never actually be even in the final event. Yeah, um, that's weird. You know, it's it's kind of like, like Red Hook Crit is one of those really unique things where you've got a combination of people who are taking it super, super seriously. You even have some pros. And then, you know, you have other people who are, you know, from just other, totally other parts of the sport. And their kind of motivation for doing Red Hook is maybe not the performance side. It's like, you know, they want to have a great time, which I think adds to the kind of atmosphere of like, that's why everyone wants to do Red Hook Crit. You know, the, the community vibe is a lot more real. Yeah, I mean, and it sounds mad, but in some ways it is kind of quite accessible because mm. although, yeah, it's really, really hard to qualify for the main race, you know, you could turn up and have a go and still be a part of it and be a racer. Exactly. Anyone, you know, you could be a milkman, you could be a postwoman, you could be a firefighter, you could do yeah. any of these things and you could then just decide to get a fixed gear bike and, like, try and be you know these full-time yeah. professional riders like I kind of like that fact um that it is pr- probably the only race in the world where you can have someone who's literally never ridden a bike before against someone who is like a full-time pro which is super super interesting so Red Hook Crit decided to go on holiday basically we're going to call it us it went on a sabbatical once the red hook got stopped i mean i know we we did a few extra uk fixed gear races and stuff like that how was it when red hook crit stopped for you i mean despite the fact i love red hook crit it was in some ways quite nice to have a break from it and mm. i quite enjoyed having the time to go and do something else now i'm like oh please come back but yeah yeah <laughs> At first, uh, it was kind of like, okay, phew, okay, I have some time now and I can just um, go and do other things. And I ended up doing more gravel riding, which Mm. has now developed into the main thing that I'm doing currently. So, you know, sometimes I just feel like life has a plan for you in some sort of way. You might not know what it is, but maybe Red Hook Crit was meant to end then, so... I could start doing something else. Not that mm. everything has happened for me. Red Hook Crit didn't yeah. end, so I could start running gravel. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe this was my what I was meant to be doing. It just gave me a bit more time, and I was able to go on other trips and go bike packing and stuff. So 
Mm. Um, I've ended up just, yeah, well, obviously it's a bit weird now because we just had lockdown for the best part of a year. But um, it just, yeah, it just gave me time to spread my wings and try things. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's part of your you know your kind of persona as well is that okay yeah the fixed gear is like a big part of what you you do and have done but you are like a multi-discipline bike racer I mean apart from cyclocross we'll just not mention the cyclocross (laughs) but I mean or basically every other bike you you ride and have ridden in an anger in some way or another (laughs) I'm guessing as well I, I can't remember the exact timings but when Red Hook Crit was kind of winding down was that when you adopted? Yeah, so actually, uh, Dave and I were doing IVF whilst I was still racing Red Hook, which was kind of nuts. Um, and funnily enough, it didn't work, but I don't blame Red Hook for that. <laughs> but um, basically, we're doing that. We've been trying to start a family for ages. So we ended up doing a couple of rounds of IVF, which was rubbish. And yeah. um, that Red must Hook have affected it. your performance as well. Well, although it was obviously made things hard in terms of racing Uh, I really really have to have something to focus on or I just fall to pieces I like to have have yeah just something to work towards and something to focus on it keeps me motivated keeps me happy so doing Red Hook was really important to me and I didn't want to just sack it all off I had to there was one of them that I couldn't do because I'd broken my thumb um but I didn't let the IVF stop me (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but that must have been super tough, like, especially while you're still racing and everything. Yeah, well, I suppose so, but I just kind you of... took it in your stride, no bother. <laughs> I just got off to it. <laughs> when did you adopt then? Was it the end of that year? Uh, that would have been, well, it was three years ago now. Blimey, time has, time wow. has flown. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a few years now, and yeah, it's just been absolutely amazing, just... Like, hey, see, now I'm going back to that thing where I said, life has a plan for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, she is the best in the whole world. Like, oh, my goodness. I just can't even describe how much I love that girl and how how well suited we are. Like, she just mm. really loves doing all the same stuff as me. And I know people might say, oh, well, you know, it's all she knows, but... You know, I have other friends. I have other friends with children, and their kids aren't into bikes. You know, she yeah. is massively into all that, and you know, just oh, she's a little diamond. So I just feel like it was meant to be. Of course, it was. We were meant to meet each other, and yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah no that is super super cool and I guess like I think I remember having a conversation with you about like you know I think I remember asking you like were you scared about not knowing you like if you'd be kind of compatible when, when adopting yeah. um but you were like yeah but you don't if you have a bit you know if you're pregnant you don't know if it's going to be compatible like, no. <laughs> and I was like oh yeah <laughs> you just don't know who you're gonna get you know like yeah, yeah. Um, brother has four children and they're all raised you know identically and with each other and they're just so wildly different so you know children obviously quite state the obvious you know they're their own people and they come out like that you know so yeah, obviously yeah. we shape them to some extent but you don't know who you're gonna get do you no no how are you finding it being, being juliet the mum oh it's brilliant it's really brilliant i mean i sometimes 
I, I do pinch myself sometimes, you know. Um, my friend and I were in the park the other day. We we're in like um, a childcare bubble, so I can look after her daughter while she works and stuff. And we're standing there just pushing these swings backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And we just looked at each other and I said, oh, mate, sometimes, you know, it does feel weird that this is our life now. But no, yeah. there's, there's tons of brilliant things. And I, I, yeah, I just, yeah, it's lovely. I don't know what else to say apart from the fact that I'm, I'm very happy and it's the best thing I ever did. Yeah, no, for sure. So 2020, the year that never was almost. <laughs> I think, had was it that you had, I think I saw somewhere you were planning to do some gravel races or something? Yeah. So, was, that right, was that for 2020 or have I got confused? That was 2020. <laughs> yeah, that was 2020. So, yeah. um, shame. So I got a new coach um, and started working with Train Shark around about like November 2019 and yeah. it was really nice because it was a new way of training to me and I was getting bored of all the stuff I was doing myself and I really committed to it like I like to have a challenge so anyway I spent it's only a couple of months up until January February or something and um I was getting really fit like mm. I look at my training peaks and it was really working and I was like wow this is going to be a good season you know yeah 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 and then COVID and it was just all like yeah so, yeah you know we got to March and um I think I did what a lot of people did which is what you know like I kept training thinking you know I'm gonna keep focused on the events that will happen later in the year if I'm not training mm and everyone else is then you know I'll be at a massive disadvantage so you know I kept working out on my what bike and going out for rides and stuff and then after a while I was just like oh you know what whatever it's not happening is it what what are you doing now then with the with the training and plans for races this year um well I am trying to get back on it like now like this week <laughs> i'm gonna start monday tomorrow no it is it's this week i've started because okay, um, awesome. yeah i've been i've been training i've been working with train shop the whole time but um i've had a lot of stuff to deal with um in my personal life and so my training has just been all over the shop if it happens at all you know i've just not been able to commit to it i, I wanted yep. to but in the end, it got to a point where it was another thing that was making me feel bad and I did not need that. So yeah. I just did all, all the sessions that I could do and I would text my coach, Connor, and I'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, I just couldn't do these this week. And he's like, you know, there are bigger things in life sometimes. You know, get that yeah. sorted. The training will still be there. Yeah. So um, I feel like now... I am in a bit of a better place to actually focus on the training. I've got a better routine with um, our daughters in nursery and stuff like that. So hopefully I can start focusing on that. I haven't really thought about events, though. I've not got as far as that. I don't want to get my hopes up, Kira, because it might all be Uh off again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think, like, we're very similar in the fact that we're, you know, we're racers at heart. Like, we like the competition. So, you know, that's hugely motivating. And when that's not there, it's like, 
what am I yeah. riding my bike for right now? You know what, though? I've got really into Zwift racing. Have you? Yeah. Um, my friends and I are in, like, a, a e-racing team. And yeah. um, there's this Women's Empowerment League that's WTRL Racing League that's on Zwift every Tuesday. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's like a 10-week league, and we all have Discord on on our phones. So we all chat to each other. And um, they have different races each week, and you accumulate points for your team. So um, before, if I had a Zwift race on and I didn't feel like doing it, I just wouldn't do it because you yeah, never yeah, feel yeah. like doing it. But by the yeah. time it gets to like <laughs> seven or eight o'clock in the evening, quite often motivation is a bit low for me anyway. Um, yeah. So I'm often not really truly commit to swift races but since i joined this e-racing team and we do this league together i've got really really into it it's really cool so last night we did um a ttt on swift on swift yeah how do you even do that it's so cool (laughs) it's quite hard actually like to get it right we don't get it totally right basically we have our ds and she's on discord which is like the shared audio channel so we'll have her in our video and she's like right Judy at front so you'll be like on the front and I know that I've got to do 30 seconds 35 seconds because she's worked out how long each person does based on your FTP and then when I've got 10 seconds left she'll be like 10 seconds and then she'll be like five four three two yeah and then the next woman will come up she'll take her turn it's so fun Oh my god, like, how? I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right, so how does one even get into a Zwift E-T? Like, what do you mean? Right, well, <laughs> we need some more background. Firstly, <laughs> firstly the, the Zwift E-Racing team, funny you should ask, because um, myself and some other women are thinking of starting a new one, so I'll... I'll talk to you about that after after the podcast. Oh. But basically, um, anyone can start one. You just get a group of people together. That's all you've got to do. And then you have to register your team. So that the league is done through a website called WTRL. So if you wanted to right. be a part of a particular league, you would just register your team with them. And um, that's why it's a bit different to like if you just go on the normal Zwift game or swift platform if you just join a normal event then um it's not going to be set up the same way as these wtl races are set up so anyway um, they they've like figured out a format over the 10 weeks and every third week i think is the team time trial the other ones are just races so it'd just be like a normal swift race but yeah, you just register your team and they have all different categories. So A, B, C and D, depending on how strong you are. So it's quite yeah. nice because you could, however fast or however unfit you are, there'll be a place for you somewhere. Then you just kind yeah, of find yeah. your place and do your thing. It's cool. Yeah, I, I have actually only done two Zwift races. Yeah. Genuinely, they're so hard. Like I have raced Mariana Voss nothing compares to Zwift <laughs> like, it's, <Yeah. laughs> like it's just because it's, it's you know like in a road race like you have obviously sections of the race where you're going that hard but it's never like for that long whereas you do a 30 40 minute race on Zwift you're basically at your threshold or above <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
me. I mean, so the thing that I didn't like about it initially was because I'm a bit, I would say I'm a bit of a, a skill-based racer. I would like mm. hide my inadequate fitness behind better cornering, say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I, I would sort of always rely on that kind of thing. And I suppose um, when suddenly it was only about how fast are you, like um, how good is your engine rather than how good a good racing you, you are. Yeah, I, I found that hard at first and I didn't really like it. Um, but now I've kind of got into it. And, but basically, I just see it as a really, really good workout because yeah. I'm far more motivated to push really hard. I haven't gotten fully into the Zwift. I mean, I think the first lockdown I definitely did. But I think it's it's just su such a useful platform, especially at the minute, just to like motivate yourself because then at least you feel like you're riding with yeah. each other. And, you know, if you're doing a series together and you can all like chat to each other, like you probably hear each other better on Discord than you do, like, when you're trying to, like, sorry, what did you say? I yeah. can't hear you. <laughs> like, when you're all, yeah, because obviously we're only allowed to ride with one person over here in the UK. Uh, not in the UK, in England, sorry. You're allowed to ride with yeah. one person as long as you stay um, apart from them. But in practice, it's kind of hard to do that because you're not really meant to ride that far either. So... You know, my friend Nikki, who I'm on this team with, she's in Exeter. We just can't really ride at all together because in order for us to cross paths on a ride, it would be going too far. I mean, it's a bit... They haven't really defined how far you're meant to go, but basically everyone's trying to be a bit sensible about it. So it's hard to meet up with people for rides, really. And this is one way at least you get to chat with your buddies and do something together so it's nice yeah but yeah it is it is a good platform I think it, it's cool that it seems to be like getting people still riding their bikes I think doing exercise and stuff whilst this is all still going on is super important because like it's so easy to just not motivate yourself to do anything in a day not do any exercise just sit and be sad <laughs> yeah totally yeah but god it makes you feel better you just have to you know, anything, even just like um, we were talking about yoga with Adrienne earlier. Oh, my God, I love I love that woman. <laughs> oh, so good, isn't it? Just if I'm feeling stressed out or something and I do one of her videos, it just totally changes your, your day. It does. So mm. if you can't be bothered, like, if you just... I always say, like, just do the first 10 minutes. Yeah, And then yeah, you exactly. carry on, then fine. But once you've done the first 10 minutes, you always carry on, right? Yeah, exactly. The hardest part is always just starting with anything. Yeah. So how would you say you've stayed motivated during this crazy last <laughs> 10 months? <laughs> I'll tell you, one, one really good way of staying motivated is actually um, having a child and therefore <laughs> not having very much time to do it. Because yeah. you really want to do your training and get out on your bike when... Um, you know, you've got limited time to do it. You don't want to waste it. So I suppose mm. I am quite motivated because if I don't go, you know, in that time slot, I'm not going to get to go at all. Or if I don't get yeah. on my turbo during this particular time. So I suppose that's helped me stay motivated. And then the other thing is just that I feel so much better if I ride my bike. And I yeah. know that. So, um, yeah, I just, everything's better if you ride your bike a lot. Food tastes better because you're really, really hungry and stuff like that. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. So, so I true. Suppose, 
Yeah, I suppose just riding your bike makes everything better. So even if, yeah, I don't know. That's how I stay motivated, I suppose. Just yeah. by... But just ride your bike more. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's not a great answer, but I guess... <laughs> I think like the bike is such an important outlet for people. I think it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I've been speaking to a few different people through this podcast, and it's interesting like for the more recreational amateur racer cyclists, like they've actually been loving it because they've had maybe more time to go out cycling, or you know they've been really enjoying getting out on the bike because that's their release. But it's it's quite interesting speaking to like people who are full-time riders actually are finding it really quite difficult because their whole job is based around you know the races and stuff and they they don't really know what they're getting fit for so I think when you're when you're a pro like it's it's more your job it's not really your your passion um but like speaking to speaking to other people you know they've the main thing that they've been focusing on is trying to make it fun yeah, totally. like the general message from a lot of the other people I've spoken to is like, just make it fun. Like, go out on your gravel bike. Don't ride to power. Like, just go out yeah. and just try and like get back to what you used to do when you first started cycling and you just loved it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm pretty lucky because I have quite a lot of different kinds of bike. So mm. I always kind of have the motivation to go and ride because it's like, oh, I could ride my mountain bike today or, oh, I'll go on a gravel ride. So that kind of helps. But, yeah, not everyone has that. So I was going to say, oh, my advice would be, like, try a different dis- discipline or something. But that's mm. kind of I guess a lot of the trail centres that hire out bikes are closed because of COVID. So it's not like everyone can access different kinds of bikes. So I would say just try different areas or different, yeah, different routes rather yeah find new trails exactly like just go on a bit of an adventure because I think people lose touch with the fact that like cycling is it's it's great to train really hard and like have goals and and that sort of thing the reason you started was not to like win a race the reason you started was because it was fun and you wanted to go camping and or you wanted to go ride to your friend's house (laughs) yeah exactly think the advice of just ride your bike and it'll all be okay is is pretty much my my mantra at the minute yeah it's a good one okay awesome is there anything else that you've got got on the cards for 2021 um well you know what I'm amusing myself with at the moment I'm planning um my first bike packing trip with my daughter so um I hope we get to go I mean I don't know so Currently, I'm thinking of getting the ferry over to Brittany, and then there's all these greenways down there where you can cycle along next to the canal, um, and it's all traffic-free, and it's all really, really flat, and there are campsites everywhere. So I'm hoping to do that. I'm looking into different ways of attaching her bike to mine for when she gets too tired and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got um, this thing called a trail gate. It's basically a pole. And yeah. so you could attach that to the front of her bike and drag her along when she gets tired. But it's a bit rubbish because you have to like stow the pole when you're not using it. It's just a bit clunky. So I've seen, yeah. I've got really into researching all this sort of stuff and I've seen there's this yeah. other kind of contraption that basically turns your two bikes into a tandem. It's called a oh. follow me tandem anyway. They cost oh. a bloody fortune though. So I'm trying to find a second hand one of them. And then I will plan a little short but manageable bikepacking trip with my daughter 
and hope that we're actually able to go and do it. That would be super sweet. And I guess, you know, maybe you could say, hey, I'm going to make a video, guys. Do you want to send me a tandem, follow me tandem, pretty please? You know what, Obviously, I've already emailed them about that for the other oh, I know you too well. I know you too well. They've not replied so much, by the way. Oh, well, you know, you never know. I'll send them this podcast and be like, guys, okay. come on. Okay. the ball here. <laughs> So for those of you um, that follow Juliet on Instagram, on YouTube and that sort of thing, what sort of things can they be expecting to see from you in the next couple of weeks, couple of months on your channel? I haven't thought that far ahead. Um, um, I don't know, Kira. I was about to be up, but I'm just going to be honest here. I don't know. More cool bike stuff. (laughs) Okay. You know, that's what people follow you for. More cool bike stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I think we'll round out the interview here. If people want to find you, where should they go? On Instagram, I am at Juliet Elliott, and my YouTube channel is Juliet Elliott's channel. Very imaginative. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got a blog as well, right? What's that called? Yeah, the blog's called Bikes and Stuff, although I've been a little lazy on updating it recently um so yeah feel free to check out bikes and stuff but it might not have much apart from youtube videos (laughs) if you would like to check out juliet's stuff i will leave all the links down in the description of the video or of the podcast depending on how you're watching or listening to this (laughs) so thanks very much for joining juliet no worries nice chatting to you kira hopefully i'll get out to see you in girona sometime that would be mega Oh, 100%. You're always welcome. A huge thank you to Juliet for joining me and thank you for listening to the Kira McVitie podcast. New podcasts will be coming out every Saturday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to not miss future podcasts. If you get the time too, it would be really great if you could leave a review. Until next time, bye.